Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars open up the Holy Scriptures and study a passage together drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm a spiritual engagement uh, coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. We hope this uh, podcast for you will be edifying and enjoyable uh, and especially equipping if you're a pastor or a teacher who's working on a lesson or a sermon for the upcoming weeks. But we do hope it'll be uh, helpful and enjoyable for all listeners. Our guest this week is Ken Shank. Uh, Ken is one of the key leaders in Campus EDU. Uh, Campus EDU is a new organization uh, engaged in uh, educational innovation in partnership with a number of universities, including my own. Uh, it's a actually really neat uh, organization doing really cool stuff. So check them out at campusedu.com. And he's a former dean and vice president from Houghton, as well as from Indiana Wesleyan, and a dear old friend and a regular here on the show and a fantastic scholar of the Bible. His specialization is in New Testament, uh, but he's an excellent reader of Hebrew and a, a lover of the Old Testament. So I'm excited to have him on this week to talk about Psalm 99. So that's our text this week, Psalm 99. As you're listening to the show, if you're enjoying it, pause and press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass it along with a text message or on social media so that others might find the show and benefit as well. And if you'd like to become a supporter of the show financially or otherwise, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find out how to become one of our patron saints. And now enjoy this conversation with Ken Shank. Awesome. Well, let's just jump in. Uh, Psalm 99. Would you be willing to read the passage in whatever translation you wish? Sure. I've got an NRSV here. Great. Go for it. The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Mighty king. Lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed righteousness and justice in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Let us pray. Father, you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Teach us as we study this ancient song how to praise you, acclaim you, celebrate you in your holiness and your highness, even as you also step down to help your people, to save them, 
to forgive them, even as you also punish and make things right. So, Lord God, you are a lover of justice. You are holy. So, Lord, teach us in your ways today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so, Ken, uh, what do you notice here in this passage? It's just, you know, I've not spent a lot of time looking at this psalm. It's very rich. I mean, I've, I've not, I've spent maybe 20 minutes this afternoon reading it. And um, for example, I noticed in your prayer, you said, holy is he three times. And it does seem that there are three places where it says he is holy. And of course, we know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That that was fascinating. Uh, holy is he is a refrain twice. And they're roughly, they're not exactly, but they're roughly equidistant. You know, it's not exactly in thirds, but right. it, it does kind of mark, you know, it's verse three, then the end of verse five, and then at the very end at verse nine. So it gives a little bit of shape to the, to the Psalm. Yeah. I was trying to think if, if it has a, a form or a progression. I mean, the first one, I assume that it means from heaven, although it could be evoking the temple in the first three verses. And he's enthroned between the cherubim. Is that in heaven, the real cherubim, not the artificial ones in the Ark of the Covenant? But it does mention Zion. So you could have a temple. The first three verses could be the temple. Well, it is the temple. It's either heavenly temple or earthly temple, I assume. Right. That's good because it is temple means just tent too, or house, right? Or palace. It means a lot of different things, right? So, yeah. And I assume they thought that the earthly tabernacle, at some point they did. Um, I assume at this point they thought of that as being a uh, a shadow, as it were, or a you know I'm thinking Hebrews, obviously a kind of representation of the heavens. Yeah, and Hebrews isn't like just making that up. It, it, right. It's it's an understandable interpretation of of Exodus, where you know he goes up and and it's clear that Moses doesn't just hear things; he sees things when he's up on the mountain. You know, and if the heavens are up, and if the word for heaven is just the word for skies, plural, sky, plural in Hebrew, the idea that you might would go up a mountain, go up the mountain of God and, and see something that God would give you a vision of his realm, his, his, uh, his seat of power, his royal court. And I don't think it's unique to Israel either. Right? I think in the ancient Near East, the idea that earthly sanctuaries were in some way a way of representing what was in heaven or in the skies. It seems to me that's not just a Israelite way of thinking about earthly sanctuaries. But anyway, so this idea, you know, is he talking about the temple in on, on Mount Zion or is he, or is he thinking of heaven could be either, but God is speaking from his. Uh, so you have kind of that, the tabernacle tent uh, temple part. And then the next part seems to be more earthly focused justice on the earth, righteousness on the earth, maybe. And then the third part engages the story of, of Israel in the wilderness. And, but although Samuel, interestingly, kind of sticks out as, what, why is Samuel in here? Uh, he, he wasn't part of the pillar and cloud, was he? But I don't know if it divides up that way or not. Maybe I'm reading things into to it. You know, first part, tabernacle, temple, second part, among the nations, and then third part in the story of Israel. God is holy. The Lord is holy. Again, I'm not sure if that works, but that was what, you know, as I looked at it and, and tried to discern any kind of train of thought or pattern. Yeah, let's 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 look at that a little bit. So, I mean, definitely those opening verses have 
sort of temple resonances, which would make a ton of sense if it's being sung in the temple, right? Yeah. And then the language in four to five is slightly more royal, right? I mean, I don't want to make a strict priestly royal distinction because that actually falls apart if you're too rigid with that. But right, I mean, he's literally referred to as the king. Yeah. And worship has connotations of bowing, bowing down. Yes. Right. It's uh it is it doesn't even have to be you don't even have to use the word worship. Did NRSEV use the word worship? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, you could just make I mean, bow down at his footstool would be a valid translation, right? Yeah. I think it's a uh, it's a uh, the the famous he, <laughs> the infamous verb hishtakava. But anyway, no no Hebrew allowed, right? But, oh uh, no, Hebrew Hebrew encouraged. What are you talking about, man? This is fresh text. <laughs> this this verb this this verb is incredibly unique uh, grammatically. But anyway, but I assume say, that it could, say it again because I hishtakava. Hishtakava. I, I guess I guess kava is the um, is often considered the root, although I think that's debated. It's a, it's like the only it's okay. Sorry. I'm, do I'm it, going, do it, do it. Like, Our listeners love it. They know when a Ken is listed as the host, we're going to get great. I mean, guest, we're going to get great stuff. So, so bring it. Well, I don't know if it's great. There, 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 this is the only word. stuff. This is the only word that does this stem. It has a stem all to itself. It's the HT shin stem. And this is the only verb in Hebrew. Uh, at least that's one construal of, of the, of the verb. The hishtakava is uh, the full stemmed version of kava. Anyway, it means to worship. It may have a kind of, I, I don't want to overread it, repetitive, bowing repeatedly. That's overreading it, I'm, I'm sure. But anyway. Yeah, so I've got a Robert Alter's translation, and he just does exalt the Lord our God and bow down to his footstool. Okay. So he doesn't even put the word worship in there. Because that word has become so narrowly religious. Sure for us as modern readers is my hunch as to his choice there. He doesn't have a footnote explaining the choice, although he may in an earlier place in, in his translation, he can't explain it every time. Right. Sure. But yeah, the, the judgment and justice and righteousness and equity. I mean, all of this stuff is very, this is, royal. this is social Royal language. Psalm 72. And you're right. Then verse six, at least through seven. And I, it's still past tense, at least through eight. Because of the forgiving and the avenging. So six through eight is almost like a miniature version of like, say, Psalm 78 or one of these monster versions that kind of re-narrate the the story of the Exodus. And then sometime, you know, like I think 78 gets all the way up into the early days of Judges and sometimes it gets all the way up to David. So actually the appearance of Samuel there is not totally bizarre. If you think of this as a kind of like, Sure. Psalm 78 in miniature, right? It's kind of narrating the history of God's or Psalm 77 does this and at a medium length, 77, the second half of 77 goes for about maybe eight, nine verses kind of narrating God's works in the Exodus story, right? So this is a pretty standard Psalm trope. It's just, it's a little funny next to like this Royal and then this highly priestly opening, yeah. It's really occurring to me that you could, I mean, if you were into like source stuff, you could be like, oh, there's like three different Psalms here. Right. And <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not actually, as into that, but <laughs> no, I mean, my, my mind didn't go there, but I was thinking, you see I mean, the reason why people go there though. Like you can see different things are being brought together is the point, you know? 
what was neat to me, and I, I'm, I'm, I won't go into it, is this psalm to me, and I'm, an, I'm a complete amateur when it comes to the psalms. We need Steve Lennox on here. I think you've had him maybe. Um, but uh, I'm thinking this is obviously a psalm written during the monarchy, which may not shock a, a lot of people. But to me, um, I'm not sure. How, I mean, a lot of the psalms, I think, actually date from the exile or post-exilic time. So or at least the, at least their final form. Yeah. Cuz they'll so have I mean, these they they'll have the la- there's a couple psalms where the last two verses are like explicitly like rebuild your temple. And it's like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it feels tacked on, which, you know. So, it was exciting to me to think that this is a psalm clearly from the monarchy, and my other thought was they're clearly reading Pentateuchal texts in in my mind. They Yeah. They have Pentateuchal text. Now, none of that will seem surprising to the people listening to this, but you having studied at Princeton and me having studied at Durham, those are precious things to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not a given. And for those who are wondering, what is Ken getting at? Uh, <laughs> it's not a given in contemporary scholarship that these texts were written in the sort of sequence in which they're maybe seemingly canonical, commonsensical way where the Pentateuch comes and then the... So for the, for you apologists out, out there, this is clear evidence in my mind for Pentateuchal texts existing um, during the monarchy. And So not to, not to belabor that point, but why would it not be... Why is it that, that the Pentateuchal texts would actually be texts and not simply just... Stories passed around. Is there something about this that gives the impression that, you know, they're using precise language or something is, I'm just curious. Well, I can't, no, I can't prove that. I I can't, but. So it's um, maybe not clear evidence. It's strong evidence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I I hate it when I do this. I mean, for example, Yahweh is used throughout the Psalm. Mm -hmm. That that, again, I won't explain, but the letter, uh, German letter J comes to mind. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the story of Samuel in First yes. Samuel is is a also a text that I would date, um, at least maybe not its final form, because of course Samuel is part of a collection that goes all the way to the exile. Um, but certain early parts of First uh, and Second Samuel seem much earlier to me. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's a. It seems to me that that all of the evidence fits a coherent hypothesis that this psalm is is uh i'm sorry it's it's early yeah and it but it, it it's fun because in some ways that earliness comes out in that it feels like it's from a different world you know just the way that well let's take a break and come back and talk about that a little bit okay And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Ken Shank. We're looking at Psalm 99. Uh, Let me read it again here so it's fresh in our ears. This is from Robert Alter's translation. The Lord reigns, peoples tremble. Enthroned upon cherubim, the earth shakes. The Lord is great in Zion, exalted over all the peoples. They acclaim your name, great and fearful. He is holy. And with a king's strength, he loves justice. 
you firmly founded righteousness. Judgment and justice in Jacob you made. Exalt the Lord our God and bow down to his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests. Samuel and Samuel among those who call on his name. Called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of cloud did he speak to them. They kept his precepts and the statute he gave them. Lord our God, it was you who answered them. A forbearing God you were to them, yet an avenger of their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and bow down to his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so it feels, you know, some some psalms are more intensely personal. They're even in a in a first person. Uh, yeah, and they can express a lot of emotion and even pain. They can hint, poetically hint at a narrative of, you know, uh, people betraying us or people uh, bothering, hurting us, our enemies, um, our hopes and dreams and all that. And this one, like some other Psalms, but this one really stands out and it it feels a lot more, it just feels very foreign to me. And maybe not just me, but, you know, it's, it's all, you know, it's cherubim and the earth shaking and all this uh, imagery of God kind of sovereign over the world and like the most concrete stuff in it's the narrative stuff that would also be foreign to someone who didn't know these stories, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't connect with anyone who hasn't heard the Exodus or the Samuel story, you know, by foreign, do you mean it comes to us from the past, from a different world of the past that, that is not familiar to us? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe foreign is the wrong word, but it feels, I don't know. It feels ancient. Ancient. Yeah. Other, but foreign in the sense of also like if you were to, you know, if you were to travel somewhere outside North America and experience, you know, whether it's songs or religious practice or something where, you know, just people speak in a very different way and talk about things that are very, you know, strange. It's just funny. The Psalms can be so personal and immediately relevant sometimes. And then other times they can just feel very alien. It's interesting. I, I suppose to some extent, I don't tend to read the Bible in a Lectio Divina, you know, kind kind of way. And so I suppose I read every text as first, you know, first to them um, right. and, and not not directly to me. So I guess maybe it doesn't feel as foreign to me. Because you're in, a good scholar sense. and you know it's all foreign. <laughs> well, I, well, what's that book, The Past is a Foreign Country? Um, yeah. But, but uh to me, it's, it still speaks powerfully. Um, you know, the Lord is king. You know, I can still go with that. I don't have a king. I have a president, you know, but but um, I love that. I love that he's a lover of justice. Well, I can assure you it's foreignness is no insult on my part. It's definitely yeah. intended as a mind-expanding, you know, heart-heating kind of thing to be caught up in something bigger. Sure. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Well, I was I was uh, 
mentioning between the break and I, I had in our break and I had not uh, I had not noticed this. Um, I love I love the Old Testament. I was glad that I didn't feel uh, steered toward the Old Testament uh, because the Old Testament has some some thorny theological things that I, especially in my early career, didn't didn't want to have to teach. <laughs> but um, I enjoyed the New Testament um, uh, because I, it had it seemed to have much less thorny kinds of things. So, but I love the Old Testament. I love I love digging digging into these Psalms and in, into the text. And um, I know I was noticing that this is maybe the last, maybe the culmination of a series of of royal oriented or the Lord is King, not royal psalms, uh, but but um, psalms of praise to Yahweh uh, as King. Maybe starting, of course, uh, Book Four of the Psalms begins with with ninety, but then from Psalm ninety three on, uh, from ninety three to ninety nine, we have. Not entirely, but some psalms of uh, the Lord is King. In fact, the first five, the first verses of Psalm ninety-three are very much like uh, Psalm ninety-nine. The Lord is King; He's robed in majesty, you know, and and so forth. So I thought that was interesting that we have a we have a a, a collection of psalms about the Lord being King. Psalm ninety-seven: The Lord is King. Psalm, and then of course Psalm ninety-nine, which again maybe I'm pressing things, but it fits it fits into an era where Israel had a king. Yeah, it's both – it's affirming the royal the, – the monarchy of Israel as an expression of God's kingship, but also subordinating it under the, the kingship of God. Is that fair to kind of say? It's kind of both affirming and relativizing. Yeah, I mean I, I think, I think um, Israelites – Israelite theology, they saw the king as a, as a son of God, as, a, as it were. Um, uh, Psalm 45 calls the earthly king, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I mean, and this is a wedding psalm. This is for his wedding. He's got his bride, his bride. He's got her, the virgin companions of his bride. You know, so it's it's an earthly king. And yet he's your throne, O God, directly uh, in Psalm 45. So the, the earthly king was not the real God. In fact, it goes on to say, therefore, God, your God has anointed you. Um, you know, you're not, you're not the literal God. You're the, you're the representative of God, the son of God. Derivative God. Derivative God. <laughs> um, but anyway, just to, just to reinforce your, what you said. Yeah. And I, I know Psalm 95 very well. Um, I said 40, 45 is what I meant. No, I, I mentioned 95 though. Um, oh yeah, no, I, I, yeah. 45's even weirder, <laughs> but I know 95 really well. Cause I sing it every morning at morning prayer, but, uh, but I, I don't think I realized how Royal this 95 is too, but it's right there in verse three. verse three. Yeah. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods, at which point I noticed that word great. So now I want to come back to 99. I noticed that it, that appears, twice in verse two and then in verse three and i'm I'm starting to wonder if like I, I mean i know in later islam you know the statement that that allah god is great is like a really important term you know and and it, does this word does this term I and mean, let's let's take a look at it in hebrew but does this term have sort of royal connotations, the greatness of God. Cause great, you know, great, that's a funny adjective in English and probably it's probably isn't in, in Hebrew too, but 
it's a funny uh it's a funny adjective in english because whatever whatever it's modifying tells you more about what the word means you know it's almost it's it's only one notch more than like saying something is very you know god you are very like like very what right it's it's great king or i know in the new testament great can be a great voice or a great crowd it can just mean large right i mean it's it's gadol which you know you learn in biblical in uh, beginning hebrew i mean i'm not i'm not a hebrew expert gadol doesn't strike me as having specifically royal connotations necessarily but i'm not i've never done a word study on it i imagine it would be a painful word study because it probably occurs it's a lot a lot of times and it can just mean large i think you know big yeah i think uh, so. it, it has well, that even even grammar the kamats gadol it's the big kamats um anyway. <laughs> there it is right but uh yeah gadol yeah it's just a, it's just a i just want to know what it means to call god great you know Oh, there we have some parallelism. There's a lot of parallelism here. So let's see if see. that helps. Awesome, uh, Nora, awesome, great and awesome, and and then holy, holy is also great and, great and fearful, and then he is then holy. Also, Rav, he's high, uh, great and high. Yes. Uh, so that sense of awesome, awesomeness comes across to me at least. I think that's helping me. That's helping me. I mean, holiness to me is to say that God is holy is to say that God, God is God, but it's to say it and God is, God is God. You know, it's, it's, it's more emotive than it is logical. It's to Uh, shake, it's to shake a little, right? It's like, it's like there's a million volts. Don't touch it. You know, kind of word on your face, you know, Isaiah six. So greatness goes along with that in my mind. Uh, He's set apart. He's different. Even though that that sounds so tame when you say that, yeah, he's set apart. Um, yeah, set apart doesn't help really. It's, it's, <laughs> he's set apart as divine, and therefore, you know, if a cow touches the mountain, you stone it to death. Um, or if Uzzah touches the ark, he gets fried. It's that kind of set apart. Yeah, and so it it's linked to power and to danger, fear, fear, but also beauty and awe. You know. Worthy, worthy worthiness it's not just it's not the danger of the abyss or of the waters right it's a different kind of danger is it what is it what does the guy say in the first indiana jones movie when he looks into the ark it's beautiful something like that and then his face yeah yeah that's holiness <laughs> that's that's biblical holiness if we want to talk about holiness according to the bible it's face oh, melting. It's holiness, face yeah. melting, right? <laughs> I love it. So before we uh, take another break and explore some sermon starters, let's talk a little bit about this juxtaposition of Moses, just that all of verse six, Moses and Aaron among his priests already weird Moses, a priest question mark, and then adding Samuel there uh, among those who call on his name. Prophet. Okay, I get in the in the in the abstract they call on his name and he answered them, but yeah, the pillar of cloud business doesn't seem to be relevant to the Samuel story, or does it? That's I guess something we want to explore. But I mean, as the keeper of the wilderness of the of the tent, I mean, maybe maybe the psalmist is saying that uh, the that pillar we of cloud seeing, remains. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm For- wondering. Because then, because, when you get in, because when you get in Chronicles and or Second Kings, 
Is it Chronicles that has that description of the cloud, the, the, the Shekinah descending into the temple after Solomon completes it? There's a kind of story along those lines, the divine presence. I mean, the tent is still port- portable in Samuel's day. Yeah, was- he, he's this bridge figure. He's the kind of last of the judges. He's the last uh, figure to kind of be both a prophet and a priest. Those become highly differentiated offices, it seems, after him. You get Nathan and Elijah and all these prophets that are clearly non-seeming, seem to be non-priestly figures. So this is an interesting implied exegesis of Samuel as this crucial figure. So it's funny, I was saying how foreign and, and ancient and alien and just uh this text is as all the psalms are if we're really paying attention as you helpfully pointed out uh so and again i i tend to only really do lectio with psalms and gospels so like i always think it's foreign except when i'm reading a psalm the psalms is my prayer book you know like it's uh, (laughs) it's easier to get in so when it's when it's foreign it it, it's striking because there's some psalms where you feel like you don't even have to look at a commentary to follow so it just sounds like something i would say you know that's not always true and you're actually very it it always benefits us to get a little distance from the text to see things but but then from the point of view of this psalm, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, these are this that's what's ancient history to them. Right? They're yeah, referring to absolutely. some other distant yeah. thing, which is just always fun to just remember that, that that was already old. I just was reading, just saw this on social media yesterday. A friend of mine posted that this year in 1990, 1989, when Nirvana had their first album come out. Not the one that blew up big in 91, 92, but in 89, Bleach came out. And that year, Elvis's Hound Dog, Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, was 33 years before. And for someone my age and the age of this person poisoning this, you know, like that, those seem like completely different worlds. Elvis and Nirvana, right? But this year, 2022, Nirvana is now 33 years old. (laughs) And the question he was asking was us as middle aged, Men that was that you know on on social media saying you know is this how old Nirvana seems to you know yeah uh, uh, teenagers now uh, it is it seem that foreign to uh, to me that still seems recent music compared to Elvis I know it's a silly analogy but it's just something to capture a little bit of how far away ninety nine is how it would have already been a little bit from another world to like Paul and Jesus their time. Yeah. This was from another era, the, the monarchy era. But in the monarchy era, this Moses, Aaron, Samuel, that was then ancient history, yeah. right? That's, that yeah. was in the past when God was still showing up with a cloud. It's like they're not expecting that anymore to do that anymore. <laughs> they're expecting I mean, it, God to act in a different way now. I don't know when it was written, but I mean, that could be 500 years in the past, you know, for them or more. Yeah, it's just a strange thought. It, why, does he, why does he list Moses and Aaron among his priests? Doesn't that, does that, or is this, do, do other Psalms suggest that Moses had a sort of priestly I mean, I, office? I don't know. I think, uh, I, I don't know that it's entirely, I mean, he, he does serve in the temple, right? He goes into the Holy of Holies, God meets him there. Uh, so, I mean, it seems a fairly natural, um, you know, I've wondered, again, I'm not an, in any, any way an expert on the Psalms, you know, but I've wondered whether, whether there's a, yeah, I'm about to say something really ignorant. You know, this is the fourth book of the Psalms. Is there is there any kind of a connection with numbers 
that goes along with that. Well, um, multiple times in Numbers, Moses is goes to the tent of meeting to have a conversation with God whenever there's trouble and there's a lot of trouble in no, Numbers. So um, and there's and there's the, the re- and there's the revolt of uh, sons of sons Korah. of Korah. So and there the attempt to kind of put a wedge between Moses and Aaron. Yeah. Right. When Aaron and Miriam even have a li- have even a little moment, they don't do a full blown rebellion, but they're a little tempted. That doesn't explain Samuel, but well, but at least that first initial. Well, it does in some sense because, in some sense, Samuel combines the figures of both Moses and Aaron. You know, in some in a sure. strange way, he is a kind of crucial combination of those figures. But given the larger context in the which in the way, so priests is in parallel with the phrase "those who call on His name." Hmm. So it's emphasizing priest as intercessor. Right. As one who prays and then called on the Lord and he answered them. And then seven, he speaks to them. And then in eight, Lord God, it was you who answered them. So the emphasis here is on prayer and God answering prayer through speech and act. Right. And if if we think of that aspect of the priestly office, well, give me a break. Of course, Moses performed that. Right. Moses was clearly a priest for them. Very clearly, even in Exodus, he's interceding on behalf of the people, asking God to not destroy them, <laughs> right? But he strikes the rock, and he's judged. Yep. And Samuel isn't judged, but the sons of Eli are, I mean, associated with that, with that, you know, Samuel section. Right. Yeah, it's still, I mean, we're, it's an unsolved mystery, and I think will remain so, the, the way that it's kind of mixing and matching. You could say it's a foreshortening of the history of Israel. You know, it's kind of, everything's all just kind of jumbled together. Yeah. Bookends or something, as you said. Well, Samuel's the the end of the pre-monarch period. So if we think of this as a monarch heavy text, you know, Samuel's kind of the end of that other era that we're no longer in when this Psalm's being written. Right. And um, is, is there a connection that, that uh, when the Lord tells Samuel, don't worry, it's not you they've rejected, but me, I'm the King. Um, you know, right. I, should, I should, I should be their King, but they've rejected me as King. And so they want an earthly King, but I don't know if there's a resonance there. That's a good intertextual resonance. I like it. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to fresh text I'm here with my guest, and Shank, and we're looking at Psalm 99, Psalm 99. So let's explore some uh, sermon stars, and it doesn't just have to be sermons. It's in, in many ways, any thoughts you might have about what it looks like to apply this to our lives. That may take the form of a sermon, might take the form of prayer, praise, songwriting. There's lots of forms that it could take. So we can start with sermon ideas, but we can go anywhere you want with this. I'm trying to be less rigid about the third segment because <laughs> the Psalms are a different, a different beast, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, it's part, partially the era I was, uh, trained in. Um, but I, I'm particularly fond of three point sermons. Um, so I could see myself, uh, doing a three point sermon from this, uh, text, one of which focused on, uh, probably worshiping at his holy mountain 
Uh, that's the climax of it. The, I think the last verse is probably the takeaway. Let's hear the let's hear the bottom line here. Extol the Lord our God, bow at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. You know, so I might I might I don't know whether I'd say that for the third point, but um, I definitely one of my points would be about worshiping on the holy mountain. You know, there's there's a, a an easy easy uh, connection to going to church. You know, which I wouldn't be too. Um, um, I don't know, cheesy about, but, but, you know, let's worship. We need to worship at his holy mountain. Um, the holiness of God would be part of that, that point. Uh, we haven't really talked much about four and five, but the Lord does love justice. Um, and uh, I see a couple, mishpat, you know, a well-known Hebrew word. I see a couple of, of venues there. Um, people tend to go one way or another. I guess they're both probably true. People, uh, so one group of Christians like to focus on justice. He punishes the wicked, and then another another group likes to focus on justice. He rescues the poor and the marginalized. And I think both of those are true. Um, and so uh, that might be a second point about the justice and righteousness of God. And then this third part that we've talked a little bit about about those who intercede. You know, because we're a kingdom of priests, right? Those who intercede for others, um, that we cry to the Lord, and the Lord forgives, the Lord answers, the Lord avenges. Um, so, I mean, that's my first thought for a three-point sermon. I'm not quite sure how I'd arrange it, which I'd do first. You know, justice would be the second one. Uh, but I don't know. I might do I might do the intercession first and end on the Lord as king. But there you go. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder if... I'm just suddenly wanting to glance through it now. And this is always how it works is you kind of, you exegete and you kind of have a, you have a hunch, you have an idea. And then sometimes that drives you back into study to see if it, if you can develop it in a way that's faithful. But just glancing at the text right now, I was thinking about the verbs, the verbs associated with human beings here, starting just with like imperatives, right? So, you know, let them praise, verse 3, and then verse 5 would be to exalt the Lord. Let me make sure that's a imperative. Yeah. I'll just start with that. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool, right? And then you get that same exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his holy mountain, so that's just that first little parallel. I, I missed it until now is the parallelism between five and nine. You see that structurally very yeah. similar because yeah. we were, we were breaking it down. Not well, the holy, holy is uh, the holy is in those verses. Which exactly. Yes. Exactly. So that's just a little striking. And even the difference between, and I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but what's the difference between worshiping at his footstool and worshiping at his holy mountain? You know, um, maybe those are two things, two ways of saying the same thing, but maybe not. Maybe one is a little bit more priestly and one's a little more Royal as it were. Uh, one might have to do with, a little bit more with justice and righteousness, right? His footstool, right? Yeah. Um, 
And, and the other a little bit more to do with our own shaking in our boots as we enter his presence. Um, and so it might be interesting actually to explore what it means for God to be a lover of justice and for us to become lovers of justice is not something other than or separated from worship, right? But is itself a form of worship? I can't help but think of Amos saying, you know, on, you know, God speaking through Amos saying, you know, you're, you're, your sacrificial bulls stink to me because you, you know, you don't have justice in the gate. Um, and of course I thought of Isaiah 66, you know, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Um, ah. uh, so Zion, Zion is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. Yeah. So from our point of view, the mountain is up, right? It's up high. But from his point of view, that's low. That's the footstool, right? So there's a kind of meeting of high and low in one. I don't know. It's just fun imagery. I, I maybe it's uh, maybe I'm just on a kick right now of visuals and even like props in preaching. Uh, but I could see a footstool. Like I could see a footstool on a platform, you know, as an image. To explore or the, or the the altar the 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 kneeler uh, kneeling bench at the front <laughs> oh which then brings which then makes that connection then to intercession because that's yeah. for us as modern folks that might be a place where we kneel and and beg god to act right yeah oh man i mean there's some there's there's i don't have the full shape of it yet. And it doesn't need to be there because this is fresh text and we just pitch ideas and people run with them where they want. But <laughs> there's like a really beautiful sermon that we're kind of dancing around here that I would love to, I'd love to hear. I don't know if I'd want to preach it, but I'd love to hear it. You know, there's like a really cool, like sermon that makes some connections between things that we often don't connect, that we often keep separated and compartmentalized, you know, because even, even, um, I mean, even the earthly temple is a gateway to, to heaven. Uh, there's a sense in which the earthly temple is the footstool. Um, you, here we are. Welcome this morning. We are worshiping at the footstool, you know, but we're going to exalt um, the throne of God in the heavens. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We're going through the, the, the portal. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that if you're going to preach on the Psalms in the context of worship, these are weeks when you want to really be talking to the worship team and not just have the sermon and the songs do their own thing separately uh, to, to find a way to, you know, have some calls to worship and maybe even some selection of songs that make some connections, you know, cause it really to talk about praise without actually doing it is pretty irritating uh, you know, you need to make the, con make, have the connection be experienced. And I don't know, I don't know whether you've done many of these Psalms in this neck of the woods, uh, but there are some choruses, um, um, Psalm 95, verse six, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. I mean, there, um, you mentioned, uh, um, morning worship. Um, wasn't there a song you said you do in morning worship? So there, there are some courses that come from this section of the yeah. Psalter. I mean, good old holy, holy, holy wouldn't hurt. Uh, sure. That that because of the triple holy here. 
Yeah. So there's definitely some potential there. And even just sitting down, I mean, I'm amazed that when I sit down with, you know, uh, and it doesn't just any worship leader who has enough experience leading a lot of songs, you just sit down with them with a text that you're planning on preaching on. And like, I find that to be sometimes really helpful before my sermons come together. As long as I know my text, sure, crack that open, tell them what I'm noticing, see what they're noticing. And then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're throwing out songs that we could use. And those are helping me then think of, of sermon themes that I wouldn't, I mean, that's worth doing. A lot of people do that anyway, but a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of churches don't have that kind of coordination or when they do it, sometimes it can just be cheesy. It's like a theme and it's really our idea, not the the Bible. What's that? Sometimes the Lord does it for you. Yes. Sometimes it just happens. Uh, I guess the point is sometimes the Lord can do it for you. And it doesn't just have to happen on accident on Sunday morning. The Lord could do it for you in a conversation you have a week before. That's what I'm imagine, suggesting. Imagine that. Imagine that. Uh, yeah. So if, uh, if Steve Lennox were here, he'd ask, uh, what does this tell us about God? So let's just do some, let's just, let's take turns doing some attributes of God. So God is blank. Oh. One word. Does that sound oh, like a good way to end? Sure. Obviously he's king. God is great. God loves justice. God is exalted. God answers prayer. Mm-hmm. God is one who speaks. Oh, you took mine. <laughs> he, uh, he does punish wrongdoings. Yet God is also a forgiving or a forbearing God. I mean, there are more exalted over the people's. Executes justice and righteousness. And then the biggie, God is holy, holy, holy. Hey, thanks so much, Ken. This was a blast. I always love studying the Bible with you. Well, I enjoy it too. And, this, and you, you take me to parts of scripture that are, uh, are, I don't frequently preach from. So I, I enjoy that. No, I love, I love doing it with you. Thank you. Uh, thanks to our listeners, as always. We appreciate the time you give and getting the word out about the show, uh, especially our uh, patron saints who support the show. If you want to find ways to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and look into becoming one of our patron saints. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And with that said, we say have a great preach and a good week. Bye-bye.